Pundits and focus groups are now saying that Bernie Sanders won the Democratic debate held in secret on Sunday night. This has many across the country asking the question, what are the top 10 ways that Bernie Sanders, a socialist senator from Vermont, is similar to Doc Brown, the mad scientist from the Back to the Future movies? In this exclusive report, The Andrew Claven Show answers that question. Number one. Both Doc Brown and Bernie Sanders have frizzy white hair that becomes unruly whenever they ramble on nonsensically. Two, both have gravelly voices that grow painfully loud when they're detailing their latest absurd idea. Three, both are wise, beloved wisdom figures, except for Bernie Sanders. Four, both are fictional characters played by Christopher Lloyd. Five, Doc Brown travels into the past to change the present, which defies both logic and the laws of possibility. Whereas Bernie Sanders promises free health care, college tuition, child care, and increased social security without increasing taxes on the middle class. Six, Christopher Lloyd, who played Doc Brown, got his start playing a raving lunatic in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. The similarity speaks for itself. Seven, Doc Brown is a time traveler and therefore believes he can go back to the future. Bernie Sanders is a socialist and therefore believes he can go forward into the past. Eight, both men travel in flying DeLoreans, although Doc Brown only does it in our imagination and Bernie Sanders only does it in his. Number nine, Doc Brown has been voted one of the greatest movie characters of all time and Bernie Sanders is a blithering idiot. Eh, that's not so similar really. Anyway, number 10, Seeing Doc Brown and Bernie Sanders gives all of us a nostalgic yearning to return to the 1980s and the 1850s, respectively. Trigger warning. I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. <laughs> I'm the first person to notice this similarity, right? They, and, and they're never seen together at the same time, which I think is suspicious. So what we did, we, what we did is we actually got... Doc Brown to watch Bernie Sanders in debate performance and comment on it. So here we have a tape of that. Never mind that, never mind that now, never mind that, never mind. Why, that's me! Look at me! I'm an old man! Good evening. I'm Dr. Emmett Brown. I'm standing here on the parking lot. At Thank God I still got my hair! <laughs> That was really touching, you know, <laughs> touching, bringing these two, two men, long lost brothers together. It was very touching. We got to talk about this because now they're saying that Bernie Sanders won this secret debate. You know, the debate that nobody saw because it was held in the dead of night in an undisclosed location. I mean, all we hear about in the, me in the media, all we hear about is Trump and how crazy we're hearing how crazy the Republican primaries are. You know, and it's Trump, and now it's Cruz. I mean, today, David Brooks, the faux conservative in the New York Times, a former newspaper, you know, he's like a former conservative in a former newspaper. He writes this thing, oh, Trump and Cruz, it's the end of the world, it's the end of the Republican Party. Again, only intellectuals could confuse Trump, this kind of demagogue, with Cruz, a constitutional scholar running purely, as far as I can tell, on principle. I mean, all, all Cruz wants to do is return to the Constitution, whereas Trump, I don't know what Trump wants to do, but he wants to do, he wants to be president, I guess. I mean, I, or either that or he wants Hillary Clinton to be president. So, you know, David Brooks, this is, remember, the guy who said before Obama was elected that he met with Obama and he looked at the crease in his pants and the crease was so beautiful that he knew <laughs> that Obama was A, going to be president, and B, going to be a great president, a very good president. So 
he was half right. I mean, they got reading the crease on it. I mean, it, t it seems to me if the crease on his leg was that good, he should have elected his dry cleaner. You know, I mean, it's like we could have had you know some little Chinese guy in a laundry. Yes, I give you good government and crease on pants be excellent. You know, I take stain out of church. Very racist stuff. That's a terrible, <laughs> terrible of David Brooks to put that in my mind. That was t terrible. So everybody's talking about how crazy this Republican election, the Republican primaries are, and nobody's discussing the fact that the Democrat primary is between an avowed socialist and a probable felon, a probable felon who's also probably a secret socialist. You know? I mean, this is like insane. You know, there, there used to be a time, there actually used to be a time when to be a socialist, people thought, oh, that's bad. You know, I kind of know that's bad because socialism is bad. But now, I mean, listen to this. This is, this is the, from the Washington Post. This is the Washington Post. Bernie Sanders won the Democratic debate, say pundits and social media, okay? The final Democratic debate before the Iowa caucuses was mostly about Bernie Sanders. Frontrunner Hillary Clinton often sounded like an underdog as she attacked the Vermont, Sen Vermont senator for flip-flopping on guns, proposing an unrealistic health care plan, and so on and so on. Here are some of the reactions from the pundits. The fixes Chris Saliza named Sanders the winner and Clinton the loser. More than anything, he said, it was the passion and disruption that Sanders oozed from every pore. That sounds disgusting. This, it should, that should push Democrats on the fence about the race into his camp. Sanders effectively positioned himself as the anti-status quo candidate, a very good position to have in this electoral environment. Democratic strategist Chris Kofnis tweeted that 27 of 30 undecided voters in a South Carolina focus group he convened, picked Sanders as the winner. Now, that's kind of impressive because where you think Sanders is going to disappear is in the South, but South Carolina, but his focus group anyway. Frank Luntz, the Republican focus group guy, he says Bernie needed an overwhelming victory in tonight's Democratic debate, but at best he got a narrow one. But he still says a narrow one. At Sanders shined, says NBC's Alex Seitzwald, at times overpowering Clinton in a format she typically controls. And the New York Times this morning, the lead story in the New York Times was, was facing a tougher than expected challenge from Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont. Hillary Clinton's campaign is preparing for a primary fight that could stretch into late April or early May and require a sprawling field operation in states and territories from Pennsylvania to Guam. With the Iowa caucuses in two weeks and Mr. Sanders' insurgent candidacy chipping away at Mrs. Clinton's once formidable lead, Clinton's, Clinton aides are acknowledging that the road to the party's July convention could be an expensive slog. Remember, Mrs. Clinton said, remember I campaigned all the way until June last time. I remember, and she lost, right? <laughs> that was, that was the, the Obama one, so I, I, that's actually not that inspiring to her troops. But I, Now, I have to say that personally, Personally, I don't see this happening. I, I, I really do believe that after New Hampshire, Bernie is toast, and a lot of this is some way of kind of, I, I don't know, just talking about this debate and this primary with taking the focus off the fact that the chatter is that the FBI is about to indict this woman. <laughs> she may be carted away in chains, you know? And like Joe Biden, you know, Joe Biden now, his name makes sense. Remember that old song, I'm Biden my time, because that's the kind of guy I am. And now it seems like, now it seems like Joe Biden is just sitting, waiting for the cops to come and take take this dame away. You know, it's like, they'll never take me, coppers, you know? No, cart her away and Joe Biden will be there as the next candidate. So. Let's take a look. We have to take a look at this guy that now people are actually taking seriously. This is, let, can we play that, that first cut of him? This is his, part of his opening statement at the last debate. What the American people understand 
is we have an economy that's rigged, that ordinary Americans are working longer hours for lower wages, 47 million people living in poverty, and almost all of the new <coughs> income and wealth going to the top 1%. And then, to make a bad situation worse, we have a corrupt campaign finance system where millionaires and billionaires are spending extraordinary amounts of money to buy elections. This campaign is about a political revolution to not only elect the president, but to transform this country. A political revolution. So here is David A. Farenthold, also in the Washington Post. What is Bernie Sanders talking about when he says he wants a political revolution? The answer is a series of policies that would offer vast new government-funded benefits to individual Americans, including health insurance, paid maternity leave, and free tuition at public colleges. To make those things possible, Sanders, a Vermont senator, Democratic Socialist, he calls himself, would impose a variety of new taxes on the wealthy, on corporations, and on Wall Street trade. The Wall Street Journal says that this is stuff that he's going to give us for free is going to cost us $18 trillion. So I, you can't possibly, you could not possibly tax enough to make this $18 trillion. I mean, if you cleaned out the rich, who, by the way, would leave the country when taking their factories and their stores and their businesses with them, you still wouldn't get the, the kind of money that, that he needs, okay? So this is this revolution. Now, you know, this used to be the, the common people used to hate this. You know, I, I, once, I once had this conversation with a guy from the State Department. People who work in the State Department are very high-level intellectual guys. And I said to him, do you remember back in the 60s that guys like you, smart guys, were telling us that the Soviet Union was the future. We have seen the future that it works. And guys raking their leaves, you know, who worked in the insurance company, the local insurance company on Main Street, were saying, I don't think this socialism is such a good idea, you know. I think this, this Soviet Union is not going to work too well, you know. It was, it was the, this, the regular people who got it. Is that still true? I mean, the question is, Bernie Sanders now gets up and says, the people want this. The American people want this. And Hillary Clinton... She's afraid to dissociate herself from it. Listen to Chris Matthews. Here's Chris Matthews talking to Hillary Clinton. He asks the, the magical question, what's the difference between a Democrat and a socialist? What's the difference between a socialist and a Democrat? Well, Is you that a question you want to answer, or would you rather not? Well, you know, I, you'd have to ask. Well, see, I'm asking have, you. You're well, a Democrat. He's a socialist. Do you, would you like somebody to call you a socialist? I wouldn't like somebody calling well, me a socialist. But I'm, I'm not one. Okay, I well, mean, what's I'm, the difference between a socialist one. and a Democrat? Last well, question. I can tell you what I am. I am a progressive uh -huh. Democrat. I'm a progressive How's Democrat that different than a socialist? who likes to get things done and who believes that okay. we are better off in this okay. country when we're trying to solve problems together, getting people right. to work together. There will always be be strong feelings and I respect that from you know the far right the far left uh, libertarians but uh, whoever it might be we need to get people working together we got to get the economy fixed okay. we've got to get all of our problems you know really know. tackled and that's I, what I, I think I the difference <laughs> first of all I love the hard-hitting MSNBC journalism if you don't want to answer the question it's okay it's okay and he says to her he says let me help you out here that's the way he opens this interview let me help you out here by getting you off the socialist button she doesn't want to go. She doesn't want to go. The person she's appeasing there, the person she's appeasing there is not the right. It's not, it's not people like me, because I'm not going to vote for her. She's not trying to say, oh, don't worry, I'm not a socialist. She's telling the socialists, oh, don't worry, I'm really a socialist. That's, that's why she doesn't want to distinguish. It's not, because, it's not because she's afraid of the word socialism. Chris Matthews is afraid. 
And she's afraid of the word because they're both old enough to remember what socialism looks like. You know, socialism, you know, taking, taking the work of other people as your own, taking the profits of other people. We all know what that looks like. It's the guy sitting on the veranda in the South before the Civil War going, yeah, you know, I got, I got a right to that man's work. That man's work belonged to me, you know. Doesn't it, Beauregard, hit that man. He's not working hard enough. That's what, you know, that's what socialism looks like. They remember that. They're old enough to remember, maybe not, not, maybe not before the Civil War, but they're old enough to remember the Soviet union and they don't want to be associated with it now here's what disturbs me watch bernie sanders go on late night with seth myers because the audience for seth myers skews a lot younger these are people coming in from out of town they're from all around the country uh, probably a lot of them from the midwest ordinary people come to these shows to watch so here's bernie with seth myers watch this you uh describe yourself as a democratic socialist and uh, that is, uh, some would say, a dangerous thing politically to describe you as. We have a president right now who does not consider himself a socialist, but people call him a socialist as an insult. Uh, so uh, are, you, are you worried and concerned at all about framing yourself as this, that a thing is so many people have a negative connotation? Not if we have the opportunity to describe what democratic socialism means. And what that means is you have countries like Denmark, Sweden, Norway, other Euro European countries which have had social democratic governments and labor governments. And the result of that is... In those countries, health care is a right of all people. I don't see that as a great problem. <laughs> At a time when so many of our young people can't afford to go to college, uh, tuition is free in many of those countries. Excellent. They have excellent child care, strong retirement benefits. They're often very strongly pro-environment, taking on climate change. So I think when people understand that in those countries, Governments are working for the middle class rather than the billionaire class. I think we can get our message across. So after that, people applaud, and Seth Meyers says, I agree, I agree. You know, I mean, he's kind of carried away with the applause of the, the crowd. So, yeah, you know, free health care, and yeah, free college tuition, and yeah, you know, invite, this, is, this is stuff, this is a right, this is our, our right. And the thing that makes you crazy about this is these are ordinary people. I mean, because those intellectuals who got the Soviet Union wrong back in the 60s moved into our universities and have been teaching the people in that audience that this is all great, it's all great. You know, yeah, it didn't work that time, but this is democratic socialism. This is much, much better. This is much better than the, all that nasty revolution communism stuff. You know, when I was... When I was at Truth Revolt, I did a series of videos called The Revolting Truth. And this book came out by a guy named Thomas Piketty, which was just huge. It's like, it was like the big leftist book. Now it's Ta-Nehisi Coates's book uh, about the letter to his son or whatever it's called. But this was the big book, and it was about how we need, it was called Capital in the 21st Century, and it was about how we need more income redistribution, which is what he's talking about. He's talking about taking the money from the corporations, those evil corporations that give you your iPhones and all the machines you use and all, everything you do, all the movies you watch, all those things that come from the evil corporations, taking their money away for doing that stuff and giving it to you for your health care and for your college tuition and all that, because that's, that's a right, okay? So I responded to this by issuing just a little... The thing is, this stuff sounds so good. It sounds so right when somebody says you have the only way to combat it is to go back to first principles, okay? So I issued this helpful Q&A about what re income redistribution is. Today, to clarify the underlying issues, the revolting truth presents this helpful Q&A. Q. What is income redistribution? A. Income redistribution is when you go to work or start a business or make an investment and earn money, and the government takes the money away from you and gives it to someone else. Q. So you mean it's stealing? A. No, it's income redistribution. 
Q. But what if I won't give them my money? A. Then armed men come to your house and take it. Q. So then it's armed robbery. A. No, it's income redistribution. <laughs> Q. But when the men try to take my money at gunpoint, what if I call the police? A. The men are the police. Q. The police are robbing me at gunpoint? A. It's income redistribution. Q. What if I have a gun too? A. That would be wrong. Q. If they're robbing me at gunpoint, why is it wrong for me to defend myself with a gun? A. Huh? Q. Look, instead of taking my money away to give to other people, why not just give those other people jobs? A. It's because there aren't enough jobs to go around. Q. Why not? A. Because people aren't spending enough, or creating enough businesses, or investing enough. Q. But that's because you took their money away. A. Right, that's income redistribution. Q. Let me get this straight. We need more income redistribution because there's too much income redistribution? A. Congratulations. Now you're smarter than Thomas Piketty. Q. That's it. I'm buying a gun. A. But it's income redistribution. Q. Pound sand, you communist thug. <laughs> <laughs> I had to record that about three times because I kept laughing at my own jokes. But that, but you know, this is what I love about the left. It's you have to explain the basics. Stealing is bad. You know, it's like no, it's income. No, stealing is bad. It's like when they say political correctness. You're lying is bad. You know, it's like it's bad. Every time I drive around L.A. and I see these guys in Mercedes and they've got a Bernie Sanders sticker on the back, I just want to pull them over. When they get to the stoplight, I want to walk over to them, point a gun through their window, and say, "Excuse me." Do you mind if I rob you at gunpoint? You know, yes, I mind you. Well, so do I. Take the Bernie Sanders sticker off your car. You know? It's like stealing is bad. And this is, you know, Bill Maher and Christopher Hitchens used to make fun of the Ten Commandments. You know, they say, what do we need? You know, the Ten Commandments. This is silly. This is silly. It's like, thou shalt not steal. Like, we need God to tell us thou shalt not steal. Oh, by the way, we're having an election where we're taking your money away. Because that's the democratic part of democratic socialism. You know, they vote to steal your money. You know, they vote to steal you. So that makes it better because it's the tyranny. It's like a mob coming in. Instead of just one guy with a gun, it's like the whole country comes with a gun and takes your money away. And that somehow makes it better. Let me just make three quick points and I'll get off this and we'll talk about the Oscars because the, there's this whole thing going on about the Oscars that we have to talk about, this crazy uh, racial thing. Number one, three points. Number one, historically, the only system ever that has ever alleviated poverty, that has ever raised enormous numbers of people out of poverty, the only one is capitalism. That's it. Bingo. You want to help the poor? Capitalism. Free market capitalism. Not crony capitalism. Free capitalism. Point two, capitalism is, depends on freedom. Capitalism is a choice. I make an iPhone. You say, that iPhone is worth this amount of money to me. I will give you this amount of money if you will give me that iPhone. You don't give me that money, my iPhone's no good. My iPhone is only worth what you in freedom decide that it's worth. That's all it's worth. If it's no good, I gotta make a better iPhone or another iPhone or find another guy to buy my iPhone. I cannot hold a gun to your head and force you to buy the iPhone. Socialism is always force. And this is every economist from Frederick Bastiat to Milton Friedman points this out. The bad effects of force are worse than the good effects of anything you accomplish. If I point a gun to your head and say, give me your money and pay for my health care, the bad effects of that are worse. And the reason they're worse is because people are corrupt and power corrupts people. I may be a great guy coming to steal your money to give it to somebody else for his health care, but the next guy who now takes my place, he's not going to be in it. That's why we got rid of kings, because you can't get rid of them. 
When you say I have a right to health care, you are saying I have the right to the labor of another man. I have the right to the earnings of another man, another woman, another person. I have the right to take away from you what you earn to have for me what I want. That's what you're saying. You don't have that right. There is no right that you have that depends on taking away somebody else's money. It's just not, you know, it's just not true. And the fourth of my th three points is this. All these societies that Bernie Sanders cites are dying societies. I mean, Scandinavia is, Scandinavia is in the middle of nowhere. Every country is 90% white Scandinavian people. It's all a very homogenous society. <clears throat> Norway, which he's constantly citing, is pulling great gobs of oil offshore. That's where all their social money comes from. It's all, and they don't, they, these guys don't need a military because we protect them. If they didn't have a military, they'd all be speaking Russian. You know, they'd all be, under, they would all have been Soviet satellites if they had, had, a, had to spend money for military. Instead, they spent it on all these social programs. They're all decadent societies. And you have to remember, <clears throat> decadence is really good for the elite. There's more sex, there's more coffee, there's more like sitting around in cafes. For the elite, it's great. It's only for the rest of us that it's slavery and despair. And of course, it's only great until the next group shows up, namely, in our case, the Islamists, and start raping the women and killing the men. And then it's not so good anymore, you know. So here's, here's the takeaway from the Andrew Claven show. You will not hear this anywhere else. Stealing is bad. Lying is bad. Don't steal, don't lie, and don't vote for Bernie Sanders or Hillary Clinton, okay? You can say, why? Well, I, I really learned something today. Lying, stealing is bad. Now I, I know something. All right, let's, we're going to move on to the Oscars. If I, if I seem a little, you know, I don't know, do I seem a little nervous or do I seem all right? If I seem a little nervous, my wife, Ellen, my beautiful wife, Ellen, is here in the audience, the, the only person on the planet whose opinion I actually care about. So usually she sits at home listening to the podcast and rolling her eyes, but now she's actually sitting <laughs> rolling her eyes. No, the, the actual actual Oscar for best wife ever. Someone someone had to get the best wife ever. It happened to me, me. I don't know. It's like life is unfair, folks. So, all right, so this Oscar stuff, this is really funny. I love this. The big Oscar nominees came out, and there are no black actors. And this is the second year in a row, I think, there are no black actors. And this is a problem because blacks are substantially lacking in meaningless statuettes. I mean, there is a complete deficit of meaningless statuettes in the black community. You go, it's true, you go into some of these black neighborhoods and you won't find a meaningless statuette from one end of the block to the other. You know, it's like, it's very, very sad. So Jada Pinkett Smith, who is married to Will Smith, who is not nominated for his role in Concussion, she de decided we have to boycott the Oscars. And she and Spike Lee, I think, have joined us. So here is part of her, her plea. Begging for acknowledgement or even asking diminishes dignity and diminishes power. And we are a dignified people and we are powerful. And let's not forget it. So you can tell this is a, a serious, serious business because she's wearing her serious face and she's talking in her serious voice about seriousness. And, you know, I mean, the reason, you know, Hollywood is such a right-wing enclave. There are so many conservatives, and, you know, bigoted conservatives in Hollywood. That's why they're denying blacks the right. You know, it's like, it's not, it's not that they're just picking the performances they like. And listen, you know, there's an amazing, amazing amount of black talented black people, but there's an amazing amount of talented white people in Hollywood. It's where talented people come because you get a lot of money for being talented. So that's why. So this is the part I love. Okay, this, this is actually creating a small problem 
for Chris Rock because he's the comedian, he's black, and he's the comedian who's going to host the thing. So there's all this pressure on him to step down. So I love this part. Janet Hubert, is that how you pronounce it? Janet Hubert. Now, I was out of the country for most of the 90s, so I never really saw the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. But she played Aunt Viv on the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, which was Will Smith's starting show. That's where he got his start. So she sits down at her kitchen table, and she tapes this response to Jada Pinkett Smith. Uh, first of all, Miss Thing, um, does your man not have a mouth of his own with which to speak? And the second thing is, girlfriend, there's a lot of going on in the world that you all don't seem to recognize. People are dying. Our boys are being shot left and right. Uh, people are hungry. People are starving. People are trying to pay bills. And you talk about some actors uh, in Oscars. I, I love, listen, Miss Thing. <laughs> I just love that. <laughs> Miss Thing. <laughs> you know? And, and that, that is so much common sense. I mean, this is like the, that, that serious voice that Jada Pinkett Smith get, de delivered just goes right through me because th this is nonsense at the best of times. I mean, this is, you know, Oscars are delightful nonsense at the best of times. And, you know, they, they talk about that it improves, it raises your salary. It's not true. It usually ends people's career, if anything, because they ask for too much money and they never get a job again. I mean, it really, that is the Oscar curse. It, it's just, it is, I, I have won awards. I have won awards and I've lost awards. And I can tell you, they don't make your work any better and they don't make your work any worse. They have nothing to do with anything. So, of course, she's talking so much common sense that you would expect Hollywood to pick up on it immediately. Oh, wait, no, that <laughs> she's talking so much common sense that you would expect Hollywood to completely go the opposite. Here's from CNN's The Wrap, okay? The Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, which dispenses the Oscars, acknowledged Monday that the group is heartbroken, they're heartbroken over the lack of diversity among this year's acting nominees, okay? I, and this is, you know, if you walk outside our studio, they're out there, they're out there weeping in the street. It's just, it's so sad what's happening in Hollywood today. They're heartbroken over the lack of diversity and pledge to make big changes. Okay, I am both heartbroken and frustrated about the lack of inclusion. This is a difficult but important conversation and it's time for big changes, said Cheryl Boone Isaacs, president of the American Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. The statement came on Martin Luther King Jr. Day as the nation remembered his commitment to civil rights and the path forged by the visionary leaders. This was what he was talking about, the lack of golden statuettes in the black community. This is what Martin Luther King, he's looking down from heaven and saying, thank heaven. So there are going to be big changes. So great. That means that from now on, whenever a black man or woman gets nominated for an Oscar, we know that it's not because of his performance, it's because of the color of his skin. So they've just completely blown whatever credit would come to a black actor from winning this award. Whatever credit you get to say, Oscar, nominate, now there's an asterisk next to your name. Just like affirmative action, just like all these things, you know, when you think, and, and you know, every year, every year somebody, some feminist writes in the New York Times an article about how there should be no actor and actress category, there should just be one actor category. And of course, you think about that, and you think, yes, okay, so three years in a row, a man wins, and then what's the article in the New York Times going to be about? You know what it's going to be about. Oh, my gosh, the unfairness, the sexism, the, the bias, it's terrible, you know? Anytime you divide people by race, you start talking nonsense. Anytime you don't acknowledge the difference between the sexes, you start talking nonsense. So basically, 
leftism is complete nonsense. For being in. So here, here's what. So remember, stealing is bad. Don't talk nonsense. So this is, oh, this, you're learning so much stuff today. This is such an exciting show. All right, we're about to do stuff I like, but before I do, let me plug an article in the Federalist by Faith Moore, who used to be Faith Clavin. She's my daughter, and she wrote a beautiful, beautiful piece. Uh, I think it's called uh, Why I'm Glad God Didn't Answer My Prayer or something like this. It's in the Federalist. Uh, to, it's, a, it's a beautiful piece. It really is. And uh, you should take a look at it. Stuff I like. We've been doing jungle adventure movies, which is like Jay's favorite category. Now, t- tell me if you've ever heard of this, okay? Yesterday, we talked about a movie. I talked about a short story called Leningen versus the Ants. Great, great short story, which they made into a really fun movie called The Naked Jungle. So don't get these two confused, because this one is called The Naked Prey. Have you ever heard of this? Naked Prey. Unique movie. It is a unique movie. 1965, Cornell Wilde. He was sort of a sort of a second-rate movie star. You know, he was in a couple of tough guy films and all this stuff, but he directed and produced this as a vehicle for himself, and he was already in his 50s, but he had been an Olympic qualifying athlete. I think he was a fencer or something, and so he's he's in great shape because he has to be because he's running through the jungle. I don't want to give too much of it away, but there is no other movie like it. It's basically about a bunch of guys who get captured by hostile natives in the middle of the jungle. That's that's, just give the, the plot. There's no other movie like this, and if you, I read in Wikipedia, in fact, that the Coen brothers, when they were kids, and they were playing around at making movies, they made their own version of this, because it's just, it's a revolutionary film, it really is, and if you watch, if you've ever seen Mel Gibson's Apocalypto, a picture I really like, he steals a lot from this picture, and I I don't want to say too much, because I think it's one of those movies that when you're watching about halfway through, you'll start to say like, oh, wow, you know, this is really different. This is really a strange movie. So it's called The Naked Prey. It's not The Naked Jungle, though you should also watch The Naked Jungle. There'll be a lot of naked stuff you'll be watching this week. The Naked Prey with Cornell Wilde, 1965. And it really, it really is a fascinating film. That's everything I have to say. Just remember, stealing is bad. <laughs> where, where else do you get this kind of wisdom? I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show. Come back tomorrow and we will do it all again.